This is the official Caps Chirp Podcast, proudly a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. What's going on, Caps fans? It's me, the Hockey Troll, and I am here with that snack, Polly Cupcakes. What up, what up? <clears throat> How's it going, Polly? <clears throat> Not too bad. Uh, you know, coming off of a five-day juice cleanse, uh, day two of normal living, and I'm starting to adjust a little bit. Got my first alcoholic drink in over a week, and after having that time off, it is rough. <laughs> Hitting you hard, huh? <laughs> well, it was just like when it hit my mouth, feeling all the carbonation. I was just like, "What is this poison?" <laughs> it's gonna make you feel good. Um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> so, Caps fans, we've got a good episode for you today. We're going to talk some league news, which there is a plenty. The CBA was just approved by. Not only the NHLPA, but the Board of Governors. So we're going to have hockey for conceivably the next four years. Um, I think they said six. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's six and possibly seven. So, yay. That's good. Um, There are some holes probably that could be plugged in it. But as far as from a fan's perspective, we're definitely going to be seeing hockey, which is great as long as the world doesn't end. So... You know, all good things there. Also, we have an interview with Jay Fresh does hockey. He's a big part of the advanced stats, hockey analytics crowd, um, kind of like a big Twitter guy. Um, he's got some good, good info. We're going to talk to him about robot puck and a little bit of just, you know, maybe predictions throughout the playoffs. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. It's, we're that much closer to hockey. So, you know, just keep getting jazzed up folks. Cause soon <laughs> we're going to get rewarded for our patience. Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, basically quote unquote hockey is now live. You, uh, it's going to start today. So players are reported camp and we'll get into that. But before I think, uh, maybe we should have a little drinky drink. Cheers. One. Two, three. And, uh, you know, we haven't addressed it, but Poly 2.0 beta. Well, Poly 2.0 is back in action. He's naked, though, uh, because you are self-quarantining for a trip to the in-laws house, correct? Yeah, just, you know, family reasons and such and the recent spike in things. So we're just playing it safe for the next couple of weeks and, you know. Might go back to normal-ish after that, but for now, just playing it safe. Fair enough. Uh, definitely could have used you in the past few beer league games. We are continually getting fucking waxed. Uh, having one sub on the benches is, is pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's really a shame that a full a full bench won't show up. Uh, hopefully, the next session with the addition of some guys that it won't be that brutal uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, uh, it looks like we've got some, uh, you know, some, some good additions, I think, I hope, but we'll see. (laughs) Time will tell if that they really are good additions or not. Right. Yeah. You don't know till you're on the ice. (laughs) Exactly. So on paper, we're looking good for next session. I'm pretty pumped. Um, But, Back to real hockey. 
the uh, the CBA was approved. The NHLPA and the NHL Board of Governors have approved a package that will allow the league to restart this summer um, and includes what they're calling a, a four-year extension to the CBA. But I think that, that they're just – because the current one is already still good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it wasn't going to expire for a couple more years. Right, right. So I've got some highlights on it from Emily Kaplan and – Greg Wyshynski, uh, always doing a good job on the coverage there. That's for, they're from ESPN.com. Uh, I'm so, glad you said his name. Yeah, I think it's Wyshynski, right? I, I, it sounds like it. I, I don't think I could have, I don't think I've heard his name pronounced before. So when I read that, I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, okay. So something that's really cool is the, as it stands right now, the Olympics are, on the table and likely going to happen as far as NHL player participation goes. Um, there's, and that's for both Beijing and Milan in 2022 and 2026. So what's going to have to happen is the numbers, the, the cost numbers are going to have to be copacetic between the NHL and the, um, the international, the IIHF and, and whatever, you know, the governing board of the Olympics, they're going to have to come to an agreement uh, as far as the cost for insurance and, and, you know, whatever the hell else needs to be done. Uh, and if it makes business sense, they have greenlit it and the players are going. Now, while I did, I did enjoy what they did with the last Olympics. I think that this will uh, make it much more doable for Team USA to win a gold because they did a terrible job of picking amateurs <laughs> and non-NHLers. So uh, I'm excited about this. I have always been a big fan of the Olympics and seeing all the NHL guys get together and play for their home country. So I'm pumped. It's awesome that they're going to have them in China so they can – they miss their opportunity in Korea, but at least they can put the game on display there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because of COVID – uh, the Summer Olympics are in 2021, and then about five months later, the Winter Olympics will be in China. So it can be a pretty busy time for Asia here in about a year and a half. But uh, I, I think it's really exciting news, and I'd say the majority of hockey fans, whether they understand the business side of it or not, are probably excited to at least watch this because if you take the business out of it as a fan – I think the Olympics are more enjoyable with the NHL guys. You know what? And and I think that is mainly because people want to see their favorite players and they're comfortable with what they know. Um, I don't think that the game suffered with the the like the style or the pace of the game suffered with these guys that are considered no names. You know, people you've never heard of. Um, but that being said, I'm pumped that you know. Guys like Ov, you know, and and Backstrom, and maybe even Holtby get to represent their home country uh, in the, from the NHL. So, yeah, like you said, as a, from a, from a fan's perspective, I think it's good. And yeah, also um, for growing the game. Yes, definitely. And you know, like I said, the only the only reason I'm happy about, or not the only reason, but it's nice that USA will be competitive because their team was terrible. Yeah, it was an absolute travesty what happened last last Olympics, and we everybody knew it. Like as soon as the roster came out, it was just like this is, is going to be a shit show. <laughs> Hopefully, Drysaitel can 
keep Germany relevant with all the NHLers back. Right, right. And there's going to be a couple uh, a couple new guys, too, uh, in the NHL coming up in this draft uh, that are German. So, yeah, definitely uh, cool to see newer players get in. Uh, newer newer countries kind of become relevant. So, uh, moving on though, there's not going to be an increase in the cap for the 2021 season, and it won't increase until revenue reaches 4.8 billion a year, which was the projected revenue for this season. So, with the new TV deal coming in, with the Seattle expansion coming in, uh, a lot of people are saying that it's probably two years that the cap's going to remain flat, but Honestly, after the 2021 season, it, it really could, it's the sky's the limit, depending on how much money the, the league makes. So I think that we might see an increase in cap as soon as the 2021-22 season. That would be nice. And the, the, uh, the excitement around an expansion draft will probably boost league revenue because there's going to be more viewers and they're going to buy merch and Right. Um, You're making the league bigger. Exactly. Uh, It kind of sucks. This probably means no Holby anymore after this year. But uh, we kind of knew that, though. What's that? We kind of knew that, though. We were just trying to, we were just grasping at straws and and wishful thinking, I think, on a lot of that. (laughs) You're right. Yeah, I mean, you you are right. I mean, (laughs) you know, if, if this is the price we have to pay to get hockey back, uh, it's a small one. Right, right. And we know that Holtby is probably going to go make a lot of money somewhere else. So, and be a starter. So, you know, let's not, let's not reopen that. Let's not scratch that scab right now, Polly. Cause we That's are on fair. a time limit. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I've got an alarm going off. Hold on. That was dumb. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Escrow, which is the percentage of player salaries held to make up the difference of a 50-50 revenue split between the owners and the players. And this is really kind of a convoluted thing that you have to wrap your head around. But basically, it's so that it's even between the owners and players. In 1819, withholdings for escrow from the player salaries were 12.9%. That's a big percentage of player salaries that they keep for escrow. Um, and only 3.25% was returned to the players, which is about a nine, which equals a 9.65% escrow loss for the players. So that's salary that they just didn't get. They just had to put it into the coffers of the NHL as a league or well, for the owners, basically. Um, so since revenues are going to be fucked, here's what they came up for the future, you know, due to COVID. Uh, in in 2021, it's a 20%. That, that's a lot. It's a fifth of your salary gone. Um, and then between 14 and 18% for 21-22, depending on hockey-related revenue, then 10% in 22-23, and then 6% from 23 to through 26. So it's it's continually going to get chopped down, but the next couple of years, as far as player salaries, take home pay is is going to suffer. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, like I when people complain or you know get upset about uh, professional athletes getting paid so much and stuff, and yeah, of course the big guys get a lot of money, but 
imagine you're a guy on a $1 million contract and say you're living in California, a little bit higher taxes, right? Right. You know, you're, you're going to, you're going to drop 200,000 of your million dollar contract. Boom. Right off the top escrow. And then how much taxing probably another hundred thousand, maybe two between state and federal. Like, yeah, they say they're getting paid a million, but they're only coming home with like half their salary. Can you imagine only getting half of your money from the job you work at and you're constantly training and putting your body on the line? And I mean, I get why they're doing it, but this does suck for the players. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely kind of a, a kick in the nuts for sure. Um, as far as the money goes, I mean, yeah, half a million dollars is still a lot, but when your contract is a million, you know, I don't think a lot of people really understand exactly what you said though. I mean, you know, New York city, if you live in, if you live in New York city or something, I mean, we just had Terrani on and he's like, yeah, I'm poor. <laughs> I work, I work for Barstool yeah. sports. I'm poor. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you get, you get half your salary and then you got to pay how much in rent. Like you're, you're not, it's going to be hard to bank any of that money. Right. Right. You definitely have to be smart with the, with the money that you get, especially if you're not a, a name brand player, a big, big guy in the, in the team, you know? Right. And you know, it, it's kind of good they're doing this though, because you know, those, those owners, they're really hurting for money. They, those billionaires <laughs> really need that extra money. Yeah, I know. Right. Jesus. I mean, and, and you know, it, that is the one difference between the NHL and all the other major leagues that, the players seem to hold zero power in these bargaining agreements and they just buckle uh, because, you know, I think that they're scared to lose re relevance and just to be out of work for a year. Uh, you know, player careers are finite, but like in other leagues, they'll just be like, yeah, we won't play. And then the owners are like, oh shit. Okay. Here's what, here's what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if they could grow their fan base, they'd have more power. But as long as they're not, you know, people can still make the argument that they're not up there with the other major sports. And until that argument is over, I think this is going to continue to be the situation. No doubt. Absolutely. Um, moving on, though, minimum wages for the NHL are going to go up. It's still 700K league minimum for next season. But it's going to go up to 750 for 2021 and 2223. But then starting in 2324 and for the subsequent three seasons, it'll go all the way up to 775. That's, that's pretty good. I think for incoming players and for entry level contracts and bridge deals and things like that, I don't think that's bad. You know, I'd play pro hockey for $700,000. That's no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> even if even if half of it's taken away in escrow and taxes, yeah, I'd play hockey for three hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I'd uh, I'd do just about anything for like fifty thousand dollars. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, especially you know if you're in like playing for Tampa or I think Tennessee doesn't have state tax, play right. in one of those good states and you get to keep more. Exactly, exactly, and be by the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as far as trades go in the NHL, there is a – so no trade, no movement clauses will now travel with the player who is traded. I feel like that's fair, kind of a no-brainer. Um, and teams can no longer include draft picks in trades that are tied to a player re-signing with the new team. So no like conditional like, – like the Eric Carlson, no more conditional draft picks – 
based on whether that player resigns with the new team. Um, and I think that both of those kind of makes make good sense, right? Because I agree. It's just a weird, that's a weird contingent to put in like, well, if he resigns with you, then you owe us more. Uh, right. So it kind of puts pressure on the club and the player to like resign at any cost or, you know, even if, even if the player hates it there, you know, he's expected to resign and will get pressured to, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think it puts more, a little more gamble in your, or not gamble, but, um, it gives less of a reward to people who are shipping people out for assets. And I, I think that's good because if you're going to ship out a star because you're going to lose him, you shouldn't be able to say, well, if, if it goes well for you, I want more than what you're already giving me. <laughs> right. Exactly. So and I mean, it, I kind of, I like this new rule. Yeah. And it'd be different if, like performance based ones. So like I think I feel like this is a lot different than performance. So like if you trade a player and then they crush it and you get another, you know, they score 100 goals or whatever, that's the contingent or if your team wins the Stanley Cup, the new team wins the Stanley Cup, then they owe you more. Like okay, I could get that because you've you've you have gained something that was above and beyond the deal. But for this, just for just for a re-sign, like, mm, uh, you know, like you said, I think this is a, this is a pretty good no-brainer here, and and the no trade, no movement clauses that will travel with the player who's traded, I think that's a good idea too because it, it's not like he's you know it, you have to renegotiate that. I mean, it happened to PK Subban, but like having to renegotiate that at every step of the way is just is tiring and redundant, and that it gives the team more, um, I guess, power over the player. Cause they could disagree to the, they'd be like, no, we want it. We we'll want the ability to trade you while the player is like, no, I want to stay here. Uh, so it's a little bit more leverage in the player's side. And that's, I always agree with those, those moves. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Uh, I, any move that gives the players more power, I'm behind. Right, right. So, last but not least, the free agency interview period is gone. Everyone starts at noon on the new league year uh, when the new league year starts. So, and this will be good for marketing and everything else. There will be a true free agent frenzy uh, and on, on the start of the league, not backdoor, you know, back-channel deals that that have, have already been made and then you just have to wait until free agency happens and then oh okay now we're just going to do what we've been talking about for you know x amount of time a month already you know what i mean yeah and, and like all these people breaking the insider stories and shit and it's like then a lot of the it's anticlimactic when the day comes around anyway so i think this will this will make it way more exciting exactly exactly well that's Big news, good news for for us fans. We're gonna have hockey for the for the uh, conceivable future, um, as long as everybody stays healthy and and you know the world doesn't end. So all good news because in this league, as you all know, if you've been watching, that it's always a stressful time. 
as a fan, like, are we going to lock out? Is this going to happen? You know, and really with all the other crazy COVID news, this kind of went off without a hitch. This, the CBA agreement really just kind of happened, you know? Yeah. It's almost like they were like, okay, there's too much going on. Let, let's, let's not mess around with the small yeah. stuff here. <laughs> right. Let's just get this fucking deal done and, and get everybody happy and continue when the world is falling apart. Let's at least not make it a complicated shit show. Right. So, uh, I know you got some, some COVID, some, some league news with, with, the the happenings around the league and, you know, hockey is officially back today. So let them have it, Polly. Well, um, late earlier this past week, the NHL did announce that nine more players had tested positive for COVID-19 Hopefully that number doesn't continue to rise before they get them in the bubble. Um, when they're in the hub cities, hopefully it won't continue to rise. But uh, this is at least lower numbers than they previous previously reported. So maybe everybody's you know really taking care of themselves and listening so that they don't screw it up for everybody. Um, and with the announcement of the new CBA, they decided to tell us what's going on with the upcoming hockey arrangements. So before I get into the dates for hockey, the hotel accommodations have been announced for the um, hub cities. <laughs> and up in Edmonton, the Caps will share a hotel with the Pens, Boston, Tampa, and Philly. I, Wait, so ma- the, the Caps are going to Edmonton? No, I'm sorry. Toronto. Okay. Um, Toronto. Um, yeah. So, uh, I wonder if they'll be intermingling or keeping in themselves. I imagine a hockey team would almost take, well, I guess it depends on the size of the hotel, but you could probably almost take a whole floor per team. Right. That, imagine that. It'd be like a college dorm when there was like, if you went to a co-ed college, like three girl floors and like, Four dude floors, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, a lot of sneaking around there. <laughs> right. Um, so they came out with the plan or the 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 key dates today, July thirteenth. Training camp is starting. Hell yeah! July twenty sixth, as was pretty much previously um, predicted, everybody's going to travel to their hub cities. July twenty eighth. Through 30th, they're going to run exhibition games. August 1st is when the qualifying round begins, and I believe the round robin will be a day or two after that. It's looking like five to six games per day. I'm yeah. hoping they're all on NBC or NBC Sports because I work from home, right. and I'm just going to have the TV on all day. Yeah, I'm going to be fucking worthless. <laughs> yeah, right? Like I'm going to start drinking at like 10 a.m. <laughs> Hopefully your bosses never listens to this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if they are listening, I was kidding. Right. <laughs> uh, and then the rest of these dates are tentative depending on when the rounds end and such. But we're looking at an August 10th phase two of the draft, which is dependent on uh, the results of the play in round because someone who gets eliminated will get the first overall pick. Right. And then the day following that, the first round of the Actual playoffs will begin. And then August 25th, the second round will begin. September 8th, the 
conference fi- or yeah, conference finals will begin. And then September 22nd, the cup finals will begin. If those dates are when everything goes down, October 4th is the last possible day for a game seven. And then October 9th, 10th weekend would be the NHL draft. And, you know, uh, these numbers are probably assuming a seven game series in everything. So assuming that any of these rounds finish sooner, then maybe it could be an earlier weekend in October. I doubt the draft would be in September, but it's looking like the Stanley cup could be raised in October, which is just mind blowing to me. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Um, because that's usually when the league starts, right? Yeah, it's usually like uh, I think right around the fifteenth is when you know, <laughs> like right now they're they're geared like I think um, preseason usually starts mid September maybe. Right. So this is going to be a whole new dynamic, and as football is more and more in question, I'm loving this hockey schedule because this can handle or you know fill the void of the early fall time when everybody's excited for for football so this this is looking good as long as uh covid doesn't rear its ugly head again we should be able to have this schedule of absolute amazingness and see the cup absolutely and you know I'm sure ever you know caps fans you, you've seen like Ovi on the ice and John Carlson and some key players uh, practicing, but the July 13th, that's when you're like on the clock now. Like that's when legitimate training camp starts. Um, and then 10 days or yeah, 10 days later, 13 days later, sorry, bad at math. Um, you should, you will, they'll be going to the hub cities and, and shit's fucking for real, for real, real at that point. So Folks, hockey is back. It's back, and we're going to have a solid month of five games, possible five games a day for a fucking month. And then the next two months, hockey almost every day, probably. Yeah, I mean, East Coast, um, 10 a.m. is when it's going to start, I believe. That's awesome. So uh, at least that was some of the preliminary schedules I saw. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, and as a player, I would love that. Just get up play at 10 and then got the whole day to watch or nap or do whatever the hell you want. Right. Right. Uh, full of piss and vinegar right at the, the 10 AM, um, start. And it, I feel like that this isn't going to really mess with a lot of the player schedules because they've been, because it's already, it's already fucked. Right. I mean, if you were used to playing at set at 7 PM, you know, you haven't done that for a couple of two, three months now. So, it it's a brand new field. I wonder how it's going to affect the Caps, who are notoriously bad at matinee games. But um, you know, in any case, I'm sure everybody's pretty excited. I know I'm excited. Hockey is back, folks, and it's been a long road to hoe, but we're finally here. I'm yeah. Looking at these dates, I would assume uh, they probably want to wait a week or two after the draft for training camp, but they probably aren't going to wait too long. Right. So oh, yeah. it's go. And I, there's probably not going to be a preseason either because you, you just played for the cup. So 
you know, maybe for the teams that that have been out of it, they get to come in and do a couple preseason games. But I don't see them scheduling preseason games for basically anybody who made the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that that would make sense. You don't need to overwork the guys. Right. Um, and if they start in December, that should mean that we have two Augusts in a row with playoff hockey. Nice. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I could get used to, but hopefully won't have hopefully we won't because we can get back to normal life here soon ish. Right. And we haven't even considered the fact of like when the full NHL is going, are there gonna be just the same two hub cities again? Because it's not like you know, in it, I don't know. I don't think by October this whole thing's gonna be blown over. So yeah, I mean, even if things are kind of going back to normal, you're probably not going to want to gather 20,000 people inside of an enclosed building. Exactly. Right. So, but, but, you know, I don't even want to think about it because I'm so fucking pumped that the shit's going on right now. Let's enjoy it, you know, especially in this time where there's a lot of negativity and not a lot to really be happy about in certain cases. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a definitely a bright spot, a bright shining light in, in our current situation. So enjoy it while it lasts and next season is next season. We'll, we'll burn that bridge after we cross it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so let's do a quick Washington wraparound, talk the caps uh, and maybe a little strategy behind their, uh, their round Robin play. Let's do it. All right, so August 3rd versus Tampa, August 6th versus Philly, August 8th versus Boston. Now, those are going to be the only real games that that the Caps play. Uh, They get a minimum, you know, they get their three games, which would be the equivalent of like a uh, a play-in team sweeping, right? Yeah. And uh, that's all they get. So, I mean... I I look at this and and you know I I I want the Caps to win but they just shit doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it it'll be nice if they win but really who cares if they don't. Right. Exactly, exactly. It, it's like the end of the season when you've already like secured like the division title. Yes, which Caps fans are very familiar with that. Locking yeah. in a playoff spot months before the the actual playoff start, and then subsequently locking in the division title as well, and in some cases the President's Trophy. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And, Polly, what do you think? Do you think people are going to? Do you think that the teams are going to come out and really slow play this, or are they going to come out trying to win for seeding? Um. <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like the first game is going to be like the first game of a playoff series where they're kind of feeling each other out. And then the next two, really, I don't know. I feel like it, you know, you're either going to treat all three like that, or once you get that one under your belt, then hit the ground running. You know, maybe, uh, Maybe one team's going to come out with that kind of attitude and then the other team hits them in the mouth and they're like, oh, fuck, we're here to play <laughs> hockey, so let's play some hockey. Right, right. And um, 
if from a co- if I were the coach of the Washington Capitals right now, I would be looking for pace um, and crispness as far as the team play goes. Uh, everybody playing as a team, playing as a unit, passing's on point, pace is good, uh, defensive structure is there and sound. That's really what I'm looking at in these four ga- these three games. I'm not really looking to necessarily. I mean, obviously, I want to win, but if we lose, but we played a good game, I'm still taking a positive out of that. And if we come out and look like absolute dog shit, it's back to the drawing board and some hard practices uh, throughout this whole uh, round robin series. You know, because that's five, six days of games, uh, and and you know they're key in the sense that you can see, okay, here's where we're struggling, here's where we need to improve, and we need to hit these hard, these areas hard. Um, with the with as far as the competition goes, though, I mean, like, because these are possibly teams that you would eventually see in the Eastern Conference Finals or in the Western Conference Finals on the other side, you know, are you thinking that they're going to be hiding something? Like, you know, are they going to come out with the, the normal stuff and then have maybe like another power play uh, wrinkle or another, uh, you know, something that's kind of ace up the sleeve? Because you don't really want to show everyone everything in these games because you know that the coach you know we were talking to um san filippo and he was like yeah you know you know that the coaches have never stopped working they everybody's watching tape everybody's talking to players you know this is still in season for them yeah so um you know first if i was a coach i would just run my four lines with no changes i would I'd give everybody equal playing time for these round robin games because there's no reason to shorten the bench. Right. Uh, and this way you get a chance to get everybody ro- rolling. You get a chance to see who's moving, you know, who feels good. Um, in terms of hiding stuff, I think, you know, it's tough to make a prediction on that because I think it would one be a really good time to try out something new, but also, like you said, you don't want to show it. So, um, if I were a coach, I might try it once or twice. Right. But I definitely wouldn't do it like, you know, if I want someone new on the power play, like say, you know, say you're throwing OV in front of the net instead of on sure. the point, I might do that like one time in three games. I don't, right. I don't want to run that every power play and people will be like, Oh, yeah, this is what they're doing now. Right. So, you know, as hockey fans, if you're going to really watch these games, look for different wrinkles that other teams are throwing in they, they, that they don't generally do. I do see Connor McMichael getting a lot of reps uh, and probably a lot of playing time, decent, you know, I'd say third line minutes uh, in this uh, because, you know, we want to see what this kid's got. Um, and I, I would assume it's probably the same. Like you said, giving everybody basically the regular playing time that they would get in a regular season game. And really just flexing, flexing everybody out and, and letting, letting everybody, you know, get some touches, get some reps and game speed. So, you know, I think we're in agreement there. I'm just, uh, I, I, you know, and, and obviously who the fuck actually knows what's going to happen. And it's an exciting time regardless. But, uh, uh, you know, I am not, I would not be upset if we didn't win a single game. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to start caring until the actual, like I said, this is like those games at the end of the season that don't matter. So, 
you know, you know, I, I'm really kind of just hoping Ovi pads some stats. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And everybody else on the team. So yeah, but and, I'm always and, looking for Ovi to add goals. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm all, I, I want to see what this McMichael kid can do as well. So that'll be nice to, and interesting to watch. And yeah, again, other teams I'm sure have their guys that they're calling up and they're probably the same way. <sighs> so I think that does it, man. We got, we we're right on time here. We're going to be getting Jay fresh in to talk to us about robot puck and uh, maybe some playoff predictions based on his analytic work. And we have to tell you about our sponsor, manscaped.com. Use code THPN for 20% off plus free shipping. They have the Lawnmower 3.0 out right now, designed for groin grooming. They say, when you trim the hedges, your tree stands taller. What do you think about that, Polly? Very true. <laughs> very, very true. Right. And, and Polly would know. Polly would. You know, just I'll take all the help I can get. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Plus, you know, with these Manscaped razors, it's great. They're waterproof. They've got a light. They don't nick you when in the sensitive areas. So if you're used to if you, if you've been cut down there before, um, it's it's a little alarming. So uh, definitely safety first, hygiene first on these uh, these these razors here. Go out and get one at manscaped.com. Use code THPN for 20% off plus free shipping. Again, that is manscaped.com. Use code THPN for 20% off and free shipping. We're going to kick you over to our interview with Jay Fresh right now. We hope you enjoy it, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Caps Chirp Podcast featuring Jay Fresh. me the hockey troll and i am here with that snack Polly cupcakes and a very special guest jay fresh himself the twitter analytics hockey god if you will um what's going on jay fresh or jack as as we will call you yeah nothing much yeah i share a name with jack johnson so feel free to uh to call me that uh that might be the only thing i have in common with them but uh but i'll take it <laughs> your your name really is jack johnson it isn't. I wish. Oh. I, I, you know, I could probably get me a decent, either a record deal or a, a five-year contract, but no, right. unfortunately, I, I only share the first name with him. <laughs> you know, okay. the the crazy thing about Jack Johnson, he married Brady Quinn's sister. So in that family, there's Brady Quinn, who played in the NFL. He married an Olympic gymnast. Brady Quinn's one sister married AJ Hockey, played in the NFL, and then his other sister married Jack Johnson. No pressure on the next generation to succeed at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's no pressure on Jack Johnson's kid to succeed because he'll probably get played on a first pairing no matter what. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, man. So, I guess uh, l- let's just kick this off with with putting it out there um, to the Caps fans, you are a Penguins fan. Um, yeah. And I come in peace. Right. <laughs> I, I set the grudge aside. As soon as you guys beat us 
the rivalry just doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm willing <laughs> to set it aside. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, uh, I will say though, I mean, the, the, the Caps Pens series are some of the best hockey I think I've ever seen in my life. So whether it ended up in heartbreak or not, um, definitely a highly coveted rivalry, I think. Yeah. No, definitely three quarters of that series were some of the best hockey I've seen in my entire life. And then one of them, I don't think actually ended up being completed. So, but other than that, you know, 2009, 2016, 2017, great series for sure. Absolutely. Oh man. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we knew you, know, you were I think, going there. <laughs> I think the uh, pens and caps of our generation are pretty much the Red Wings and Avalanche of the 90s. Probably, yeah. I mean, as, as far as, you know, just keeping on playing each other, I feel like Tom Wilson caving in Zach Aston Reese might be the only thing comparable to a lot of what, what went on in those Avalanche Red Wing series, though. Yeah, he's kind of like Claude Lemieux. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I love Tom Wilson, so obviously, as a Caps fan, I don't think any Caps fan doesn't like Tom Wilson. Um, but I'm sure that... uh that the Pittsburgh camp, all I hear is, is Tom Wilson is a garbage can. So that, that's a bonus for me because I love it with pissing. I mean, I've made my entire brand on pissing off Penguins fans. <laughs> well, you got, you got 45 minutes to do it, bud. Let's see what you got. <laughs> well, you know, I would love to, but, but really we, we brought you on because, you know, I guess if for the people who are unfamiliar with your work and, you know, I think some of it is a little over my head even, uh, which, which, you know, that's rare that I'll ever admit anything like that, but tell them, tell everybody what you actually do. Why are you so, why are you so cool on Twitter? <laughs> well, you set me up for failure with that, uh, with that last one, but, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. I'm, uh, you know, I, my main thing is putting hockey analytics out there and kind of trying to make them a little bit more, you know, digestible for people who aren't super math savvy. You know, I'm not a mathematical genius or, or, you know, super, super statistical. If in terms of my actual kind of training, it's not my expertise at all, but I'm a big hockey fan. And I think that there's a lot that hockey analytics have to offer to people. Uh, and I think that, I think if people kind of have an open mind about them, they can learn a lot about their team. They can learn a lot about their players and they can, I think have better informed opinions about, you know, stuff like potential free agent signings or trades or players around the league. So really what I kind of try to do is put those stats out there and make them a little bit more, you know, visually snappy, make it so that you don't have to do math homework. If you want to actually go through them, you know, you can take a look at players on your team, players on other teams, you know, other teams around the league and, and it's all there in kind of a hopefully pretty appealing looking visualization for you to, actually kind of get some meaning out of these stats and, and also kind of writing articles and stuff like that, that put them into maybe more layman's terms, which work a lot for me because that's how I got into stats in the first place was kind of trying to actually figure out how they connect to the game of hockey as opposed to just a bunch of stats on a spreadsheet. Right. And, and I think it's awesome. You do great work. So, uh, and, and it's good for guys like Polly who are, very not versed in, in stats or really advanced analytics at all. Uh, and you know, I, I think that the hockey analytics, uh, industry, if you will, or, or movement 
is still very much in its kind of infancy. It's maybe, it's maybe a toddler now, but for years and years, you know, probably about a hundred (laughs) years, hockey has been reduced to like worthless stats, like plus minus and, and goals and assists and very basic uh, surface level stuff. So, uh, I guess timing's everything here, huh? Yeah, well, I think people people kind of don't really have a sense of just how much they rely on stats. But you know, I think if you if you change the name of points and plus minus and hits to you know more obscure sounding stuff, like if you just take any kind of argument that you see online that's kind of an eye test argument and replace points with Corsi, and suddenly you'll realize just exactly how much regular fans actually tend to rely on stats. So I think the main point of the hockey analytics is just to make sure that if you're going to use stats to make your arguments, you might as well use ones that are a little bit stronger than, you know, plus minus and goals against average or, or what have you. So I think that a lot of progress has been made. I think people are maybe a little bit more familiar, but there's a lot of work still to be done in terms of making these concepts actually connect to what you see on the ice, as opposed to just kind of abstract models floating around in space. Exactly. And you know what, that's really the main reason um, when I messaged you, what I wanted to bring you on to talk to you about, because with the NHL's, um, you know, kind of opening up to new technology and these robot pucks that have microchips inside of them. And then the player tagging, which I guess is going to be done by like RFID or something. Um, They're going to be, I believe launching this next season. Uh, you know, COVID may have messed that up, but um, they're going to have raw data now that actually has legitimate this, th- that'll be able to track, you know, not only did the goal cross the, or did the puck cross the goal line, but in offsides and things like that, but uh, actual possession metrics or possession raw data of, you know, this player had the puck on his stick for this many times or during this event of a contested play uh, a loose puck battle, this player came out with that puck, you know, a certain amount of times out of, out of however many events that, that occurred. And yeah. And I wanted to know, uh, you know, what do you, what's your take on it? Because I believe that in, because I guess we'll take a step back. Corsi, Fenwick, they're all based on shot attempt percentage, right? So it is still pretty theoretical in the sense that though it is called a possession metric, it's not really, it's not really like the act, what most people would think like a possession is, right? Like having the puck. It's more uh, an event that triggers this leap of logical faith to, to, to rate possession. Correct. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, just again, in in case anybody's not super familiar with, you know, hockey analytics or especially kind of the history of hockey analytics, which, you know, I'm still relatively new to as well. I wasn't kind of inside of these ferocious debates while they were happening a couple of years ago, but (laughs) right now, I think whenever you hear somebody in hockey analytics talk about possession or almost always at this point, what they're talking about is kind of the relative rate of shot attempts or shots or unblocked shot attempts, uh, or sometimes even kind of high quality chances expressed in terms of expected goals for and against. So, you know, I think a lot of regular fans will hear they're a team that possesses the puck a lot and they'll interpret that literally, you know, like they think of it in terms of, you know, when you're playing the EA NHL games, you have like time on attack. Right. I think that that intuitively seems like a measure of possession, which is totally fair because that's literally what it is. But 
when when people in analytics, at, at least you know, especially kind of a couple of years ago, talked about possession, what they were doing was using these stats that they could kind of cobble together based on the available public data since 2008 uh, as kind of proxying possession. So kind of basically being a stand-in. So at first it was kind of shot attempts either way. So the assumption being that if your team is generating kind of more attempts at the net, you know, more, you know, whether they get blocked or go wide or, or actually hit the net, you know, if, if you're generating more of those than you're facing, that would presumably mean that you have the puck more. You know, and, and that's pretty intuitive. I mean, if you're watching a Caps game and they're out shooting the Islanders 45 to 20, you can pretty safely assume that the Caps have had the puck for more of the game. I think as time has passed, more advanced or at least more kind of provable uh, and repeatable metrics have come out. So you mentioned Fenwick. Fenwick would be removing uh, blocked shots from the equation. And I think that the big step that's been made has been in the formation of these kind of expected goal models, which take that extra leap to, towards actually including the quality of these chances. So whether that be uh, their location, whether they're kind of coming off rebounds, whether they're potentially coming off the rush, you know, people have done really, really interesting work in terms of trying to actually figure out a way using historical data that's available to figure out kind of how dangerous shots in these certain situations are. But of course, there's limitations into what they're able to uh, incorporate into these models, which could theoretically be addressed by uh, the availability of more of this data, like you mentioned. So, I, you know, just to, to get into kind of what you brought up in terms of this player tracking, I think there theoretically is a lot of potential in them. Uh, a lot of it depends on what's going to be made publicly available. Right. I think that a lot of people are kind of operating under an assumption that you know, the people that you see on Twitter, like Evolving Wild or Micah McCurdy or, you know, Money Puck and, and all these places are going to have this data at their fingertips that they're going to be able to kind of incorporate into their models or build new models. But that's not necessarily a guarantee. It could be that the NHL plans to have all this data and exclusively make it available to, you know, their in-house analytics team, to teams, to, you know, gambling companies. I've heard a lot of talk around kind of betting on who's going to be like the fastest skater or get the fastest shot in games and stuff like that. So when we talk about, you know, is this going to improve our understanding of the game? It's pretty much up to the NHL. If the NHL wants it to improve our understanding of the game, they will make it available to these people who have done incredible public work to bring what theoretically could be a very kind of concealed aspect of hockey operations to the public and has allowed for, you know, not only kind of people to get a general understanding, but for people to kind of develop stuff over time that's allowed us to get the game, you know, kind of more under our fingertips. Uh, there are certain areas in which, you know, a lot of the data that will be collected by this is already kind of being manually tracked by certain firms. So like you mentioned, you know, players having the puck on their sticks, like who possesses the puck the most, who wins board battles, who breaks the puck out. You know, a lot of this stuff is actually already being tracked, but it's not being tracked by machines. It's being tracked by these big kind of stats companies uh, like, you know, staff leads or sport logic, who instead of being able to have like programs that are tracking it using chips or whatever, they just have like armies of people kind of watching games and counting all of this stuff. And so actually staff leads is the company that John Chaka, who's the general manager of the Arizona, Arizona Coyotes, he actually right. founded that company. So that's kind of 
that's kind of called microstats and microstat tracking. So a lot of that stuff is kind of already theoretically available to NHL teams. It's not available to the public because as you can imagine, if you have all of these people getting paid to track all this data, you know, they're not exactly going to give it out for free. Um, So ideally for us, for the fans, what would happen is all this data is being tracked automatically, which means that we now are able to have access to it. It's not necessarily a guarantee that that's going to be the case, but if it were, that would allow for, I think, some kind of marginal improvements on the current possession models that exist, like the expected goal models and and the stuff that I kind of try to put out there. Uh, But it would also allow for kind of a better understanding of ways that certain players and certain teams play the game. Absolutely. And, and I'm looking at Polly cause he's, he's FaceTiming me and he's got a glazed over look on his eyes. Uh, <laughs> Polly, do you, is this tracking though? I mean, this makes sense to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's something I would necessarily enjoy putting in the work on, but it makes sense to me. And I appreciate that there's people putting in the work and keeping these stats because there are very few stats in sports that are useless. Um, so, right. you know, I, you know, I appreciate what these guys are doing. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And, uh, you know, I, I guess like, I'll, I'll, I'll say this like right now, because I feel like sometimes people get kind of the wrong idea about people who are kind of into stats is that it's kind of like a you know you're like arrogant kind of thing like you're looking down on on people i 100 percent do not begrudge anybody who wants to just watch the games like who just <laughs> wants to go off there and i test who sees you know what alex ovechkin or john carlson whoever is doing out there you know doesn't need to doesn't feel the need to go and do math homework after the game or, or any of that you know it's hockey is like the most fun thing to watch in the world in my opinion if you just want to watch it, I have absolutely no problem with that. And you know, I think that that's something that I think can sometimes get lost or the perception is not quite there among people who are kind of more analytically oriented. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, some people look at analytics people the way they look at like vegans, you know, like <laughs> they, they think they're all pretentious. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I actually I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was – I was thinking, do you, as um, you know, since you do a lot of these advanced stats and stuff, do you still put stock in any of the, you know, eye test type things or the, you know, the, the quote unquote intangibles that can't necessarily be measured, um, but stuff that you notice when watching the game that you still see valuable? Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think that anybody who would say otherwise is kind of trying to give you an easy way out. The way that I basically see it is I, I still, you know, and this isn't not necessarily just because like I've made it my hustle or anything, but it's, you know, generally the way that I have kind of come to understand the game is that I think that from a fundamental perspective, the analytics are a very strong guidepost that give you kind of an overall view of what's going on that you might not necessarily be able to get, especially when it comes to defense. Because I think that a lot of the time, what you're looking for is, in far, you know, as far as kind of contributions defensively go, it's not always going to be stuff that you see. It's going to be stuff that you don't see. Like it's going to be, you know, Dmitry Orlov like makes a small play at the blue line that maybe your eye doesn't register, but it has a huge effect on how easy Braden Holpe's job is on that given shift. 
and those yeah. things pull up over time. Your eye's not going to catch it, but the stats will because the stats catch everything. So I think that from that perspective, that's a good way to get kind of a general grounding of how much a player kind of impacts his team positively or negatively on both ends of the ice. But when it comes to actually figuring out kind of how a player plays, what they're actually doing from a skill set perspective that's making that impact happen, the analytics, especially kind of the macro level ones, like your possession stats or whatever, those aren't going to cover it. And in that case, you have kind of two routes to go. You can look at micro stats, which are kind of that thing I was talking about before, where it's like, how often do you win puck battles? How much do you break out the puck? How much do you like make passes in the offensive zone? All that stuff. And then, I mean, from then on, I mean, it's watching the games. No stat is going to tell you how fast Carl Hagelin is or, or, you know, the certain skill sets that, that many players have. And what I've kind of increasingly done in like a lot of breakdowns and kind of articles that I've been writing is bringing in that eye test perspective because really when it comes down to it, you know, the analytics will tell you kind of what's happening, but it doesn't tell you how that thing is happening. And the only way that you can figure out how that thing is happening is by watching the games, seeing what a player is doing, what their skill set is. And I think that when people kind of try to set that aside, they're not really doing the homework. And I think that's a really important portion of trying to evaluate a player. And it's something that you really can't throw away. I think it's extremely valuable. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and I and that's kind of why um, I think that this robot puck thing is going to be great because it is bridging that gap a bit between the theoretical and what's actually happening on the happening on the ice, right? So it's, it's yeah, and that's that's why I feel like it's it's going to be in like you said, if the NHL gives the data out, you know, that'd be great. Yeah. But um, yeah, so like know. I can I can give you an example of a, of a guy where the eye test does matter but it's, it doesn't matter in that it kind of contradicts the analytics but if you, you can bring it together with the analytics to form a picture and that would be seth jones the defenseman for the columbus blue jackets who is okay. i think generally regarded to be kind of an elite defenseman like in that top tier but who doesn't have necessarily very good kind of overall analytics like he's his, his offensive numbers aren't very good his defensive numbers aren't as good as you might expect and so I kind of wrote this thing about him that was kind of a deep dive of trying to figure out like what the hell is going on? Like, why is this guy seen as elite by, you know, kind of more, you know, conventional mainstream areas of, of the hockey press and fans, but the stats are saying something completely different. And what was happening is that, you know, when I kind of watched his games and looked at his micro stats, he carries the puck a lot. He's always on the puck. He's insanely noticeable when he's out on the ice because he's such a confident skater. He's super present on the breakout he makes these really brilliant breakout passes but i did notice and i kind of wrote a thing in conjunction with a guy named jack Hahn, who used to work for the toronto marlies he was in the maple Leafs front office a couple years ago uh where he where we both kind of noticed that there were things that he was doing in the offensive and defensive zones that weren't necessarily super noticeable but they were making a huge difference in terms of how he was generating offense and preventing his opponents from getting good chances like he was giving up the blue line quite a bit you know i'm not a super technically advanced hockey mind, but, but Jack Hahn was, and he noticed that there were kind of elements of his skating stride that were allowing his opponents to gain the zone a little bit more frequently than you would want. And so it kind of came out with this conclusion of, you know, this is why the eye test shows that he's, you know, this great defenseman, but yet his results aren't so bad. So you kind of have to take both into account there. And that conclusion would have been totally impossible to come by if I had just, you know, 
looked at the stats and not actually taken the time to to see exactly what he was doing out there and what his skill set was. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point because, you know, I think that if you asked anybody about Seth Jones, the dude's a stud, right? I mean, anybody who watches hockey can, can appreciate that. But, uh, and I didn't know that about, about Seth Jones not being a, I guess, uh, analytics star in that sense. So all good stuff, man. That's, that's, uh, super interesting. And, and, and I think that that kind of is why this has caught, the interest of so many people um, in the hockey community is because finally now we have this, this uh, people that are explaining things like you are in this sense with, instead of just being like, you know, well, Sidney Crosby's quote unquote good because he's got great leadership in the locker room. But you know, now you have actual numbers and, and visualizations to, to, to back up that, you know, Sidney Crosby is, you know, only okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Don't put, don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> okay, nice try there, bud. <laughs> um, but yeah, man. So and and well, let me let me finish up this little with with this question to you. Do you th- and you you kind of touched on it earlier that it, it would be a a marginal um you know tool or uh, something that kind of, could kind of bridge some gaps with this robot puck. But do you believe that uh? Some of the, like like Corsi and Fenwick may even be in in a lot of cases turned upside down. Maybe these these stats uh, people are going to have a little bit of egg on their face if they ever get the data to show actual who's got the puck on their stick. You know, the actual robot puck data. Do you think that it it that there might it might create some waves, or am I overblowing it? Uh, so I think, so I, I think you're overblowing it, but in a very justifiable way. And I think, you know, I didn't kind of get a chance to, to dig into this deeper because I think we kind of hit on a, on an interesting point back there. But so those stats, like, as you said, like they were used as a proxy for possession. Um, I think that maybe people nowadays are a little bit more careful in terms of saying, you know, this team's as, as a great possession team. I think maybe they use phrases like, you know, play driving or they're great at generating great scoring chances or stuff like that. Because, you know, at the end of the day, those stats never actually measured possession. They were just kind of a, a vague attempt to, to gauge which teams are possessing the puck more. Um, I think that one thing that kind of has to be taken into account is that the stats, like, you know, let's say kind of expected goals for and expected goals against are kind of maybe more used at this point than Corsi or Fenwick. I think Corsi sure. and Fenwick kind of served their purpose. Now they've kind of, you know, they're still there. They still get used from time to time, but I think that they're not quite as relevant as they used to be. Um, so what was we'll the expected goals for and expected goals against? The thing is that, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, do I care more about who has the puck on their stick or who holds the puck in the offensive zone more? Or do I care about who's actually generating chances using the puck or preventing chances against their goalie using the puck? You know, I care about the latter one. I think that the, the, the former, I think that actually technically possessing the puck is important to kind of gain an understanding of how teams and how players play. But when it comes to, you know, I would rather have a player who, when he's on the ice, is generating excellent scoring chances than one who is just kind of holding on to the puck more. You know, I think that an example of that would be, you know, like Matt Barzal. Like we know based on kind of proprietary data, you know, the people who have been kind of manually watching these games and measuring it, that, and I mean, yeah, 
we've watched, you know, we're in the Metro division. We know how Matt Barzell plays. He carries the puck a lot. Right. And he's a good player. And as a result, he's able to generate some good chances. But I mean, if we're talking about, you know, two players, one who, when he's on the ice, you know, his team has the offensive zone and they're getting a bunch of scoring chances. You know, he fires a puck, a rebound comes out, he makes a cross crease pass, you know, the goalie makes a save and then it goes in as opposed to maybe a guy who just circles around the zone with the puck on his stick for 40 seconds. You know, the guy who's just holding onto the puck isn't actually having a more of an impact despite the fact that he's technically possessing the puck more. So I gotcha. think that there are definitely stylistic and kind of skill wise insights that having technical possession stats available at our fingertips will have. But I, I honestly think that, you know, stuff like expected goals for expected goals against give us more valuable insights into the impacts that players have the, the, the way that a team is performing than technically proficient possession stats would. But I mean, at the same time, there's still value in having that information about possession. I mean, I, I wrote about, you know, this is the second time he's come up. I wrote a thing about Zach Aston Reese, uh, who most <laughs> capital stands will know for a very specific reason. Uh, but he, uh, he is a guy who kind of surprised a lot of people this year, especially those who are kind of trying to tune into analytics because he had the best defensive numbers of any forward in the NHL in terms of like preventing shots, like quality shots against when he was on the ice, which I mean, you know, come on, if I asked you to name the best defensive forwards in the NHL, I can't imagine that Zach Aston Reese would really be on your lips. And so right. I, I wanted to look into that because, you know, I, I of course, like that's like uh, an insane thing that happened. And I, I wanted to take the opportunity to say, okay, how the hell did this happen? And the reason is that he, isn't actually like he's not a defensive zone wizard like he's not covering his point like a madman he's not stealing pucks he's not making crushing body checks what he's doing is he comes on the ice for 40 seconds and he just his team just doesn't leave the offensive zone that entire time and then he's done a shift he goes back off the ice you know he basically is like a master of killing time um <laughs> but what happens in terms of you know if you looked at a model that showed like the shots for and the shots against you know, penguins aren't getting shots when this is happening. What they're doing is getting into the zone, forechecking, killing time along the boards, forechecking again, forcing the defenseman to clear the puck out, bringing it back into the zone. But like they're not actually getting shots. So if you just kind of looked at like a heat map of what was going on, you would think that they had spent like the whole time like in the neutral zone, just sitting on their asses and not doing anything. Right. Whereas like, having, you know, possession stats and kind of seeing like the penguins time on attack would tell you okay, so Zach Aston Reese's defensive numbers are really good, but he's not doing it because of the defensive zone. He's doing blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that I had to like watch a bunch of tape to figure out, you would just have on your fingertips. So that's valuable. But I still think that the insights that we gain from expected goal models, and especially considering that expected goal models could be improved by the kinds of player tracking, like if we had like, you know, passing information and stuff like that, you know, that would still, I think, be more valuable in terms of evaluating players and team quality than just possession numbers would be. Sure. And this is all could be theoretically available though, right? I mean, you could see who's, who's linking up the most, who's winning the most board battles and that could affect the next contract that those guys sign. Right. Uh, you know, or if you got to keep these two, two, three players together, because every time one touches the puck, uh, they all touch the puck and then, eventually a goal goes in in that shift or something along those lines. Right. 
I mean, that'd be great. It'd be bad for Jack Johnson probably, but it would be great for everybody else. <laughs> and so, so tell me Always why. start going back to Jack Johnson, huh? Yeah. Is, is, it's, hard, it's hard not What's to. the fascination there? Is he your muse? Uh, man, honestly, he, uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't think I need to tell you guys. I mean, you've watched the Capitals play the Penguins. He's just a, a real crummy defenseman, maybe the, <laughs> the worst or second worst defenseman in the league. Penguins <laughs> gave him a big contract for some reason. He, uh, he makes the team a, a hell of a lot worse. And, uh, I mean, you know, the, I, as far as like the, the profile picture thing, it really was just kind of like I needed a profile picture. I didn't think that I'd get any followers. And so I just kind of chucked him on there. And then at this point, it's kind of a brand. Like, I feel like I can't actually get rid of him at this point. Right. Do, do the advanced stats back up the fact that all the Penguin fans think he suck? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is like, he is kind of the ultimate, like, bad analytic defenseman. Like, you probably could not think of. Like I think Nikita Zaitsev maybe was the only defenseman this year who had worse numbers than Jack Johnson did. And he also doesn't do well on the eye test. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it depends who you ask. If you ask, you know, Boomer Penguin fans on Facebook, oh baby, does he does he pass the eye test? But if you ask kind of people who can notice when a defenseman just panics and chucks pucks like along the boards instead of actually making a breakout pass or trips over himself in the defensive zone, uh, no, he does not look very good to watch. Yeah, and so, I, I get that. I, I just I kind of like him because I I feel I, I'm rooting for him because he's been through some some personal shit. Fair. But yeah. uh, you know, it, as much as I want to root for him as a person, uh, I, I get it. You're, you're a professional athlete, so if if you <laughs> if you suck at your job, then you know the the stats yeah. don't lie. I was right. I was overjoyed when the rumors came out. You know, like, I guess in 2018 or whatever that he that like the Habs were about to sign him to like a five year deal. You know, I, I was like, great, awesome. He's going to make back some of that money that got taken from him. And then like an hour later, it was the Penguins who signed him. And I felt a little bit less funny, but I'm, I got no problem with him uh, getting his bag. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I loved the signing uh, personally. I, I thought it was great. <laughs> I'm, I'm psyched for that. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, man. Well, you got any any predictions for uh, for these? I mean, well, first of all, this has to be is is it an exciting time for you? Obviously, hockey coming back, but is and and is it been kind of status quo, or are you pumped to see how this break ha- will affect players and and their underlying stats uh, in this tournament? Because you know you're kind of in this um this tournament is is a bit of a bubble right so you can look at yeah. this and and scream sample size all you want but the fact remains is that all the chips you're playing for all the chips right now in this tournament and yeah. you know stats yeah. are going to be important it's uh well it's tough i mean you know like the thing about hockey is that you know i think people people will kind of jump on stats people when they make predictions that don't come true like the, <laughs> you know hockey is a pretty random sport i mean when we're talking about you know an amazing team versus a average team versus a not so average team. We're talking like, you know, fairly marginal things going on. So, I mean, you know, throw goaltending into the mix and everything's a total crapshoot, especially in a five game series. Like, I think that to have a, I I think somebody calculated it, somebody smarter than me calculated that to have like a hockey series, like a playoff series, be like a perfect representation of like who the like technically better team is. It'd have to be like a 25 game series. You know, that's just how like random crap shooting hockey is. So, you know, seven game series is wild enough. A five game series is just 
throw everything out the window. Like, you know, I think all you need is for like Mike Smith to get hot for three games and suddenly, you know, the, the Oilers are in there, you know, same thing goes for Carey Price or same thing goes for whoever's in the net. Sure. I mean, it, it's going to be wild. And I'm, you know, I'm obviously looking forward to it. I'm, I'm maybe not so sure that it was a fantastic idea, but it's not like I'm not going to be watching every game. <laughs> exactly. No. And, and right. I mean, selfishly, I think Polly and I are both pumped. Uh, <clears throat> we just hope that, and we say it all the time. We just hope that nobody, nothing bad happens. And, and I don't know, take that for what you will. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you on that, man. And I mean, like you said, I've always said in, um, and, you know, obviously this is not rooted in fact or anything, but I always said in the Stanley Cup playoffs, your goaltender to, uh, on a cup winning team, your goaltender has to steal, absolutely steal at least four games. That's, that's my rule of thumb. And he, yeah, if they, right. if they steal more then you're, you're sitting pretty, but if they steal less than four in a Stanley Cup run, you're not going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, so, I mean, like you said, I mean, Kemper, you know, the, the Arizona, uh, series with Nashville, that's going to be super interesting to watch, I think. And, and, you know, yeah. obviously I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're picking the Penguins to come in and f- go into the, the actual playoffs rounds, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, this is, this is the one bit of homerism that I allow myself is that I, I'm going to pick the Penguins to win the cup until they like literally cannot win the cup anymore. So. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I, I could, I could give you a whole list of reasons why I think that they're going to win the cup. I could also, if I was more impartial, give you plenty of reasons why they won't. But I, uh, yeah, I, although I do think that Penguins fans are maybe being a little bit too arrogant about the prospect of facing off against Montreal. I think they're probably a better team than, than their standing position suggests, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, and I, I, you know, that's that's interesting because I've never, heard, I've never seen an arrogant penguin fan. You know, <laughs> right? Of course, we don't exist. Right. <laughs> um. Well, well, tell us about the Capitals, man. I mean, I, I am a a rabid homer, so I pick them every year to win the cup and have since two thousand and nine. Uh. Well, probably since Ovi's been there, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's totally fair. I think you should do that until they literally cannot win the cup anymore. Right. So, I mean, do you and and we were just talking about this on this episode uh, in the in you know because your interview will be uh, in the towards the end of it. Uh, like these first three games are worthless. I I don't care about seeding at this point. Um, looking right. down from the top. I, I don't feel like it's as important. Uh, I mean, and especially with the reseeding after every round. So, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what, what exactly is going on with that. I've got, you know, as a Penguins fan, I'm just, I'm too bitter about not being a buy team that I just have paid no attention at all to the specificities <laughs> of, uh, of anything that's happening to you guys. <laughs> right. And, and I just, you know, I think, um, I mean, do you, I guess if you had to pick a Stanley Cup winner, and, and yeah, we're going to make you do that because, you know, you're the smart stats guy. Uh, who who would you pick? Or would you go on record so that we can flame you later if you're wrong? And, I mean, you know, there's probably like, what, a 70% chance. I'm assuming I'm not allowed to say the Penguins. Right. Other than the Penguins, whom, 
you know, there is a, there's a, there's a outlier there. That's, that's a, that's a biased. So yeah, it, objectively, well, as objectively as possible. Well, okay. If, if I'm going as objectively as possible, it's, it's the lightning. Okay. You know? And then, you know, I honestly, I, I will say, you know, from a gut feeling, I really feel that the lightning are going to do what the capitals did and they are just going to keep not winning and keep not winning. And then they're finally going to win the year that they're not supposed to win. Right. Right. Like the, like the Capitals were like the team of destiny in like 16 and 17. And like in 17, especially you guys got like completely screwed in terms of like, I had no, I did not think at all the Penguins were going to win that series in the end of it. You know, I think the Pens got pretty lucky there. And, uh, and then in 2018, you know, it was supposed to be like, you guys are kind of past your prime and, and you got it done. So I, if I was being like a, a heart guy, I would say the lightning are probably going to win in like 2023 or something. But I think the smart money is probably on them to, uh, to, to get it together this year and, and figure it out. But again, that's like what, like 15% chance that happens, you know, God knows what's actually going to end up going on. Right. Right. Because like you said, it's all out the window uh, for, for this tournament. Um, so, (laughs) right. But the the Capitals definitely have a chance, you know, especially depending on, you know, who they end up deciding to put in the net, you know, if they decide that they're loyal to Holtby, I think their chances might not be quite as hot as if they trust Samson off. I don't know what your guys kind of take on that decision would be, whether you want to give Holtby kind of one more kick at the can or you want to turn over the keys. No, I'm I'm going Holpe. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I think yeah. that uh, I trust. I mean, I'm I'm not a big fan of Todd Reardon uh, this far, but I think uh, he at least does do adjustments properly, right? So if Holpe's not cutting it, he's it's he's in a good spot there, right? Because he's got two good goaltenders. If Holpe has a crappy game, boom, you know. Sammy here in that uh, next game. And he's done that throughout this entire uh, season. So, right. and, and, and hope he's given him plenty of opportunities to do that, Steven. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're right. And, um, you know, I think this is probably Hopi's worst year uh, ever in his career. Yeah. I think that he's, but I think that there's some personal stuff going on in the sense that it's a contract year. Uh, I think that he came in with a lot of expectations uh, and, to, to, to kill it, right? Because, you know, he's trying to earn that next $10 million a year for eight years contract, uh, carry right. price style. So that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy who's already a bit of a cerebral player. Uh, I guess a more layman's term would be absolute head case, right? I mean, as all goalies are. Right. You yeah, know. I was going to say, every goalie is an absolute head case. There's <laughs> one thing I've learned. Right, right. And, and that position is so fickle and, and crazy. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's who's really made his career on being very good at consistently good, and he has this down year, and and the worst possible time is is when when you're considering his bankroll, but at yeah. the same time, I feel like he's still got. I think Colby's got another four or five years being an elite goaltender in this league. To be completely honest, yeah, the the goaltending thing stuff for me because like I've you know I've, I've looked quite a bit into the goaltending issue i think a, a lot of it because people keep asking me about goalies like i did a connects podcast a couple of days ago where they asked me about the whole markstrom thing what it always leads me to is that like every single time i look more into goalies the more it just looks like an absolute shit show like i like goaltending is just so unpredictable from year to year doesn't matter like what model you use you know like i'm like 
when I'm looking at goalies, I'm looking at how they're performing compared to expectations. Like I'm using stats that will kind of regularize like the, like the quality of the defense in front of the goalies. So like in the case of the Capitals, like the Caps aren't necessarily a fantastic defensive team. And so it's unfair to judge their goalies, like based on save percentage, like you would with like the Bruins who have like crazy good team defense. Right. Uh, and kind of even with that, you know, you add in kind of all these variables that it, theoretically, if goalies were like consistent in any way, would kind of regularize everybody and you kind of have, okay, we'll see. It's like this guy, like he, his save percentage might jump around, but it's actually because of his like team defense or whatever. But no, I mean, you just, you can't rely on goalies and even guys <laughs> who kind of, you know, I think we have a tendency to kind of think about goalies in terms of like being elite. Uh, and I think that that's a pretty, fair tendency to have especially because like that's how we talk about players as well but i mean like the big issue for me is that like even when you talk about these guys who are kind of generally considered to be in that kind of elite echelon you know you're really from year to year not getting reliable performance out of them like you know like vasilevsky is a guy who kind of has varied around i mean got you know flurry for god's sakes like i watched him for years and years people talk about him like he's like this brilliant goalie now and he uh you know, from year to year, you have no idea what the hell you're getting with him. You know, I think Holpe was kind of a guy who was relatively more consistent. And then, you know, you kind of come into him this year. He's on the contract year. You're kind of expecting everything to come together. And obviously, he, uh, he he faltered pretty hard this year. I think you have a good basis to think that he might be able to pull things together uh, in the playoffs just because that's been kind of his main uh, his main strength in the past, you know, entire career, I guess. Sure. But... You know, I, I honestly, I think the, the Caps are in a really excellent position right now in terms of goaltending just because of the opportunity that Samsonov presents to them. Because, like, the, the biggest mistake that any manager can make in terms of building a team is giving the goalie the bag. Like, if you give Price the 10 million bucks, if you give Bobrovsky the 10 million bucks, you know, even if you give Vasilevsky the 9.5, like, that is a lot of money to allocate to a position where you have no idea what you're going to get from year to year. You know, you're paying a goalie to be elite in the same way that you're paying a skater to be elite, but like a skater is going to give you pretty reliable production or consistency or what have you. Whereas like you could turn around and that goalie could be costing your team games, you know, sure. like, like you have no way to rely on that. And so the capitals, I think theoretically they could be in a position where they might feel forced to, sign Braden Holpe to like that big, huge contract. But instead they have the flexibility where they have Ilya Samsonov who they'll have cost controlled for, I think a, a pretty decent while. And I think that honestly is like a pretty major kind of potentially window extending thing that they've managed to, to put together. So I, I'd be pretty happy regarding goaltending if I was the capitals. Yeah. And, and Polly, I mean, I think we are, wouldn't, wouldn't you say, but, yeah, I think the the pipeline's looking pretty good. So, um, although it will suck to see Holpe go, um, I don't yeah. think we're going to drop off too much. Right, because we like to spend like eight million on two goalies at the most. Uh, the Capitals generally do. Once once one goalie starts making like the five six million dollar range in money, we usually ship him. Uh, yeah, and, and that's what you want. Right, it's a good it's a good business plan though. You know, you're taking a beloved uh, figure in the in the organization and and you know who did good work with us and taking them and and, and shipping them out. It's still as far as the longevity of being competitive. It, I, I think it's huge. 
And I think that's one of the shining spots of our past two GMs uh, doing that. Now, obviously, uh, McClellan could s- somehow find money and sign Holtby, but uh, I hope that that doesn't happen. Uh, and I don't think he will. I, I think that's just too. No, he, too he seems to be pretty smart with the cat, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, but going back to Flurry, I did read your article about <laughs> how you hate this dude. <laughs> Well, I, I'm sure I'm sure he's a nice guy. I feel the same way about him as I feel about Johnson in terms of I'm sure he's a nice fella. Got nothing against him personally, but uh, you know maybe think that he's uh, misrepresented from time to time, to put it lightly. Yeah, and it's interesting because I had always felt that Flurry was a strong spot on the roster um, throughout his years, and that you know yeah early on in his career. You know, I'm thinking when you guys were getting smacked by Philly and those jokes of a series where it was like 10 to 9 uh, scores, they were just an absolute – I mean, it was like – it was the worst thing I've ever seen because it was just like these are the yeah. two most hated teams and they're just over here making a mockery of this goddamn game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've, I've blocked out most of that series. Yeah. But I think the thing with Flurry is that like a lot of people – they have a very, you know, e- even if, you know, like I, I make the analytics argument and the analytics argument, I think is pretty clear on, on Flurry being overrated, but I don't think you even really have to use the analytics, you know, like I'm a Penn fan, a Penn fan. I watched all the games. Like I'm, I'm aware of like all the arguments for him being elite. The, the thing about Flurry is that I feel like people just get a super selective memory with them. They remember like when they think of Flurry, you know, they like their life flashes before their eyes of like, you know, his stop on Ovechkin on the breakaway in game seven in 2009, his, yeah in the last seconds against Ledstrom in, in 09, his uh, performance in uh, 17 and game seven against the Caps, uh, his excellent season for Vegas. Uh, and I think that's just kind of it. Like they think, oh yeah, that's Marc-Andre Fleury. And the stuff that they're leaving out is like in, in large part, like just appalling. Like he, he literally from maybe 2010 until like 2014, like put together what might be the worst stretch of playoff goaltending in the history of the NHL, like right in like Crosby and Malkin's primes when like they could have been like really competing for cups. Right. And aside from that, like he basically, he kind of went between being a terrible goalie and an average goalie, you know, from year to year in there. And then he kind of put up that one like brilliant year in Vegas, which might be, you know, like everybody was watching Vegas that year. Like, of course, everyone's going to remember that one. You know, sure. they make cup run. They make like, you know, the incredible run to even make the playoffs in the first place. And a lot of it is on Flurry. Like he deserved Vesna consideration that year. He would have been the consummate winner if they had won. And then since then, he's kind of fallen back to regular old Flurry, which is kind of like an average to below average goalie. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sold on the whole Flurry thing. And especially when people kind of talk about him as being like a Hall of Fame goalie. I just don't see that at all. Sure. Um, and I'm not sure I would say Hall of Fame, but I would I, – I, before reading your article and, and hearing your points, because like you said, his champ – he's got you know the, the Olympic gold and, and the cups, but the majority of all those championships, he won from the bench. Yeah, he has – I mean, he has one cup. He, he, he won that cup. Credit to him. He wasn't as good in that cup run as I feel a lot of people probably assume that he was. Uh, but, you know, he has a cup. Congratulations. Cam Ward has a cup, you know, you know, he has maybe we'll give him half a cup for that 2017 year where he was pretty much responsible for the Penguins getting past the caps, you know, power to him for that one. That was 
you know, credit. They wouldn't have gotten past that series without him. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he was on the bench when push came to shove. He didn't play, like, pretty much at all in 2016. Didn't play in the gold medal game, you know. And, I mean, even, you know, like, his career record in Game 7s, people talk about it as being, like, this insanely clutch goalie, which already, I mean, you already talked about 2012, you know, <laughs> when he's letting in, like, eight goals a game. Right. But I mean, you know, his career record in Game Seven is like three and five. Like it's not like he's, you know, Justin Williams in goalie gear. Like he's, you know, I just, I, I just don't see it. I, I, and I don't think that you need fancy stats to make the case. I think that is if you, you know, if you put down the hockey card, you know, and just look at his wins and his trophy case, you could like that's the only argument that you can make. And I feel like a lot of people. You know, they're smarter than that. The people who are kind of writing things about how he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I feel like maybe, maybe his like his dazzling smile and the memory of a couple of those saves are blinding them a little bit. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And so then I guess it would be fair to say that you think Matt Murray is a superior goalie than Flurry because I'm not hot on him either. Yeah. See, this is where you put me between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> uh, I'll say this in here. I'll, I'll say it extra slow so that Cavs fans can eat it up. Uh, Matt Murray was the worst starting goalie in the NHL this year. Like he was, he was bad. Like really, really, really bad. Like I, I say, probably the only goalies that were worse than him were like Howard and Dubnik, neither of whom actually ended up playing like a starting role on their team. But like, yeah, Murray was terrible this year. He was pretty good last year. He was terrible the year before. He won two cups prior to that. Like you, you know, he is kind of the perfect encapsulation of how much of a crash goaltending is because, you know, he theoretically, he's been the same goalie every year. Like I'm sure he has the same like technical ability as he did a couple of years ago, but you know, you just have no idea what the hell you're getting out of him. So, you know, strictly speaking, Flurry has theoretically probably been a better goalie, you know, at least in kind of 2018 and, and this year, but at the same time, Flurry is what thirty five and makes seven million bucks for like the next five years. So right. I'd kind of rather have the flexibility of having Murray and then being able to like have a guy like Tristan Jari backing him up rather than having to like expend a pretty good player so that we can fit a seven million dollar thirty five year old goalie for the next couple of years. No doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Um and, and that's all good points. So uh I I, I love the I love the uh the the Matt Murray is the worst goalie in the in the <laughs> league. That that was great. So thanks for that. Quoting that, yeah, we, <laughs> that's a clip. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 be doing a a video of that for sure. But um, uh, I guess just to wrap it up, do you, and and I think a lot of um criticism comes on from from like you said the boomer hockey fans of these analytics guys who've never played in their life and even if they did they weren't uh elite do you have you ever played hockey are you a hockey player have you ever you know other than I being do. a fan yeah no i i do i'm not fantastic at it they would probably have a leg to stand on but i uh no i i do play hockey i the last game that I played was, uh, it was actually pretty heartbreaking because I, I was playing in real hockey at my university and, uh, we were about to, uh, in both my co-ed division and my men's division, we had both, we had just won the semifinals both on the same day. And that was March 16th, I think. And then, oh. uh, everything got canceled right after that. So, oh man, pretty disappointing, but, uh, yeah, no, technically, uh, 
footage does exist of me playing hockey, so I can I'm ready to pull that out whenever I need to. Yeah, all right, there you go. So good stuff, man. That's that's great. We, uh, Polly and I, still bum it around in the beer leagues. So uh, you know uh, that that's definitely something that it's a cool common bond. And you know, not saying that it's it gives someone any extra clout, but uh, I definitely think that if you've played the game, it gives you a little bit more of an insight, uh, especially if you've played it maybe a somewhat competitive level even. Um, but yeah. even, well, even yeah, like, I think that like a big thing, you know, when it comes to like the playing the game or understanding the game is that like, you know, I feel like sometimes certain people like don't do as good a job at communicating this, but like, I feel like the, the real thing, like when it comes to like the analytics, I test thing is that like, you know, the analytics aren't like made up. Like they're not like a kind of imaginary thing, but like a model tooted out based on like data that had nothing to do with what actually went on in the game. Right. You know, I, I, think, that, I think that if, you know, there's some kind of terms that are a little bit alienating or some concepts that maybe are a little bit counterintuitive that kind of can easily make people turn away from, you know, what the analytics say. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the analytics are basically just presenting a picture of what you actually do see when you watch the games. And when you kind of, you know, especially kind of what I've been doing recently as, as I've been kind of digging into game tape more, like what the analytics say, like is represented when you watch the games. And I think that people who have played the game or people, you know, not necessarily because like hockey is an expensive game to play. It's not a guarantee that everyone's going to have been able to do that when they were a kid. But if you are familiar with hockey, you understand how it works. I think that there's more insights that you can bring to analytics than just kind of, you know, saying this guy's better than this guy because this number says this. You know, right. you can tell a story with it, but at the same time, you know, somebody who's kind of rejecting analytics out of hand because they're just saying it's voodoo, it doesn't apply to hockey, like all that kind of stuff. I think that, you know, if they kind of took that extra step and, and approached it as more of kind of an explanation of things that are happening on the ice, that like literally describing things that are happening, like, you know, for instance, like this guy, when he's on the ice, his team gets better scoring chances. Or when this guy's on the ice, his team prevents scoring chances. Like you want to have that because in hockey, getting scoring chances is a good thing. Preventing scoring <laughs> chances is a good thing. You know, you don't need to have played AAA to know that. But, you know, generally, like that just makes intuitive sense. And that's like the core of like what analytics is basically arguing. And I feel like sometimes people tend to intentionally alienate themselves from what the analytics are saying because it's not something that they want to look into. It justifiably might not be something they're interested in. But I think that that's kind of a, a bridge that it's important for people to cross and kind of conceptually understand before they dismiss certain things out of hand. But I think it also goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And and me being a type of person who will reject things that don't support my opinion, there are definitely times when analytics I have used against people. So, uh, and and also I will argue like, well, there's also an eye test, right? So, you know, I'm very I'm very selective in, in the things that I choose to uh, support my arguments. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, hey man, um, you know what? This has been a great uh great little uh talk, man. Uh let me give you the time to plug whatever you're doing. Tell them where to find you on, on Twitter and social media, websites, all that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like I said, off the top, I'm, I'm on Twitter at JFresh hockey, you know, been tweeting quite a bit about hockey stuff as, as you might imagine, <laughs> putting out some new visualizations and, and models and stuff. And, you know, either we'll be amping things up at the playoffs or just too distracted by 12 hours of hockey per day to get myself out of like a, catatonic haze and actually tweet anything uh i'm also 
active on Patreon uh, under the same name, J Fresh Hockey. Uh, you know, if you check out my Twitter and you see visualizations and stuff that you find cool and you kind of want full access to them, you know, I have a whole bunch of stuff up there. There's like kind of player cards so you can get a sense of all the players on your teams or other teams' analytics. Uh, there's timelines and stuff. There's even like a roster builder where you can kind of see how a team would be projected to perform based on their analytics. So if you decided to see, you know, what if the Capitals traded for Austin Matthews, how would that impact their standings position? Ooh. You can do that. Uh, <laughs> and then on top of that, increasingly, as I kind of mentioned intermittently on the show, I've been writing quite a bit more uh, recently. Uh, some of these articles have been, you know, just kind of fun goofs, like picking a Canadian or American Olympic team for 2022. Uh, some of them have been kind of more in depth, like I mentioned the Seth Jones thing earlier and the Zach Aston Reese thing. I also wrote a thing on Dougie Hamilton uh, a couple of days ago, you know, just kind of breakdowns of the players' analytics, but also bringing in that kind of eye test perspective to figure out kind of what makes them elite or not elite or effective or ineffective. And I'm kind of pumping those out. So I pretty much, I've realized today I have about two weeks left to put out kind of stupid bullshit like that before I have to start <laughs> actually talking about hockey games that are happening. So if you want to read those, you kind of have to jump on those now. Uh, and other than that, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, and we're in that boat too, because we've been spending a lot of, we've been doing pods like, you know, every week uh, where some, you know, it wasn't required or whatever, but you know, we just like bullshitting with each other. And uh, I am a little bit, I like, I feel like when I get back to watching hockey, do, will I even know what the fuck I'm looking at anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it was, it's been weird. I mean, even watching kind of game tape has been a pretty weird experience, like going back and, you know, watching a Penguins game from November, you know, right. it's, 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 yeah, I kind of have to clue yourself back into it. But I mean, look, with 12 hours of hockey a day, you know, sink or swim, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The learning curve will be, will be deep, I'm sure. So, um, definitely, uh, definitely looking forward to that band. But again, Jay Fresh. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, it's been a great talk and we hope, uh, we wish you the best of luck and hope your Twitter fame c continues to grow and that, uh, that we get to interact with you a lot more in the future, man. And that thing was in the Stanley Cup. Let's go. <laughs> I will never wish that, but, uh, absolutely, you know, I, I, I can't even say good luck because uh, on the, on the hockey fandom. So we'll just, we'll just you leave it at that. Let's, uh, let's do this again if the thing in the Capitals made again. Absolutely. Most definitely, All man. Right. Great. Good talking to you, fellas. Yeah, thanks right. for coming. Yep. Take care. All right, Caps fans. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Jay Fresh. Kind of a... A bit of a it, maybe if you don't know about stats like Polly here, uh, you know I'm not calling <laughs> you dumb Polly, but uh, no, I'm just <laughs> but you know what did you, you are, think? Pauly? You are though. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was a it was a good conversation. Um, it was a it was a fresh take on things because he made the point in there that uh, some people kind of look at the analytics folks as snobby, which some some people can be that way, and so sometimes they give off a, a bad vibe, and I. I thought that he had a very, a very good take on it, and uh, he's very self-aware. And I think he was just really good to talk to. And if if, if you want to learn more about it, you definitely need to check him out. Yeah, and um, I mean, he's he's obviously pretty well spoken, and and you know, despite 
being a part of a fan base that generally takes up the bottom 10% of intellect in the entire hockey world. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, he's, he's a pretty smart guy and, and does good work, man. And was, was fun to talk to for sure. Um, and I, he, he definitely, I like him because he pulls together, like we talk about in depth, the, the theoretical and the real. Yeah. So all good stuff. And, and, you know, obviously it's always, it's, it's the best part about being on this network, man, is that we get to talk about people who are passionate about the things that we love. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a great, you know, it's a great network of, of people. Uh, if you love hockey, this is the place to be. No doubt. No doubt. Um, all right. So we forgot to mention that the Capitals actually have their phase three return to play roster that includes Beck Malenstein, you know, Connor McMichael, who we touched on, uh, Sprong, who we picked up from the Penguins here recently, uh, Pino, uh, Garrett P- Pylon, Pilon, I don't know how to, and Philip, Philip, Philippe, Mallet, 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 I don't know. I'm fucking I would get it. It's probably Philippe Mallet, probably French. Oh, Ooh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, nice, Polly. Way to be so cultured. Um, yeah. And then on the blue line, Alexiev uh, was a pretty big prospect for us and um, looks like Lewington is coming up. Something that I've – oh, and uh, Furvery. So that's th- – those are all pretty highly touted guys who have had limited time with the club. So they'll get the attaboy, the, uh, the little ego boost and being able to come and play in the playoffs for the Caps. The thing that really kind of – surprised me well not surprised me but was um interesting was that both copley and vanacek are coming up uh i like that i think the the capitals might have the best four goalie set in in the league (laughs) right um you know i don't mind copley i'm not sure if he is a bona fide nhl talent definitely not a starter but he does a good job in the a and has you know he he deserves it he deserves this this one up and vanacek has been he's young but uh he is supposed to be you know kind of in the same vein as Ilya samsonov being kind of an eastern european trained goalie and and you know coming up with uh with the team so Interesting to see. I don't know how many reps these guys will get, but in in any case, it's great to see them get at least practice time, hanging out with the boys, a little bit of a, a taste of the big club. Absolutely. So there are a couple of defensemen. Well, there's a couple of players in general who have opted out of coming back for just this season in general, and that was completely okay. Uh, by the league, it was up to their discretion. Um, you know, obviously, it nobody is safe, and we've seen that with what the thirty, almost thirty players that have been diagnosed, including Austin Matthews. So, you know, I mean, Hamnick he opted out due to concerns with his his family, and he mentions his daughter, but I don't really know. And we were talking about this on the after hours last night that I don't really know if there is a a true specific reason that, that anybody knows about regarding. I, th- I think he's, he's got a, a young daughter about four years old that had some kind of health issue about a year ago. Uh, um, so she's just kind of like in a vulnerable state. 
Okay. And Max Domi is uh cons- is he's considering skipping or is he completely out? He's he's still considering. Um he's waiting to hear back the opinions of some medical professionals cuz he is a type 1 diabetic and he's just um you know making sure he kind of has the the medical professionals saying that he can handle it um cuz it's you know that's that's one of the, I think that's one of the the conditions that you know is at risk so he's still uh, I think the he was he was in a 7 to 10 day deciding period gotcha gotcha um also the Canucks Sven uh Bershi 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 sorry uh will not be uh be joining he hasn't given a reason uh Roman Polak not returning um he's not on the stars roster and has signed in Europe so he that's that's kind of a just he's going home or whatever right um yeah Mike Green he's out that's a former cap uh Stephen Camfer uh due to uh due to just uh his wife and son have a congenital heart defect, which can cause complications if they get COVID. Um, so he's not going Carl Alsner, another ex cap. Uh, he's, he's going to opt out as well. Zach Trotman, uh, Mikhail Vorbiev and Nikolai Goldobin. Um, they signed in in the KHL and will not be joining his team in Toronto or and uh neither will the Canucks guy. So a couple, you know, not no no real stars I would say other than maybe yeah. Domi. Uh Hamannick is is a big probably the biggest name. Um he's probably a bottom four guy. Well, uh circling back to him actually. Um so it's his daughter had um, a respiratory illness when she was eight mm. months old back in 2019. Gotcha. Seems like a legitimate so, reason to skip. Yes, she's very much at risk. So, uh, you know, good for him for having his priorities in line. Exactly. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't hold any malice towards anybody, even if they were just like, I don't want to go because uh, it's, I just don't feel safe, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, just... it's a it's a fucking pandemic. So, I mean, right. <laughs> you know, uh, if if you want to be cautious, you know, good for you. That that's your choice. Right. Exactly. So, that's a that's a update that we forgot to mention. But um, you know, uh, Polly, I know that it may be a little personal information. I know you've been doing a juice cleanse, right? We we mentioned that briefly. Yeah. And you sent so... me some pretty interesting um Snapchats. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> That was uh, not safe for work, for sure. Um, yeah, so it was it was five. There, there was the option of three, five, and seven days, and you had five drinks a day: breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then a morning and afternoon snack, with an option of a cashew milk. So for five days, I had nothing but liquid. The only fiber I really got was from the cashew milk. Uh, so. Without the cashew milk, it was like 800 calories and cashew milk bumped it up to like 13. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a 250 plus pound guy. So that's not quite what I'm used to taking in, but I will tell you this, uh, aside from the, the digestive differences 
uh, and uh, maybe having a little less energy because of the less calories, I did feel good. Um, my body felt good. My gut felt good. I didn't have heartburn or ingestion once all week, and I feel like every other day on regular time, I'm popping a, a Tums. So oh, wow. uh, it felt good, and I am happy to be back to eating normal food. But, you know, it made me really think, you know, I think I might want to do a little more a little more of a plant-based diet. I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything too extreme, but just maybe, you know, maybe start with some like meatless Mondays or something. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. I mean, vegetables are good. You should eat them for sure. Polly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's what you learned. Vegetables were good. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, and now I've got to ask, do you think that you felt good just because, it was a placebo effect or do you actually think, do you, do you actually, do you think you were just like, Oh yeah, I've got this sweet juice cleanse now and I'm going to, I'm going to be so fucking healthy or. Well, no, because I feel like there was the potential there for me to get like cranky and crotchety because I wasn't like satisfying my normal cravings. And, um, you know, the first day and a half I was really hungry until I adjusted um, I, I think I legitimately felt good, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of like, you know, in terms of you know, the, the healthiness of the diet was kind of like a runner's high kind of thing where like, uh, <laughs> without the running just, yeah. Like it was, you know, just like a, like the endorphins just felt great, you know? Right. Interesting. Um, I just felt like I was walking around the garden of Eden, picking apples off of any tree I wanted, except for that one. What now tell me how much was it to do this? Uh for the so my wife and I both did it. I think it was it was 300 for the week. Um What? What? But 300 yeah, but you're 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 paying for for the convenience and you know that's five drink or you know ultimately six drinks a day. That's a lot of ingredients that I didn't have to buy and juice and put the effort into but you know, you think about it, uh, an average weekly trip to the, to the grocery store might be a hundred bucks if you're getting meat and veggies and such. So, um, you know, for a meals, a week's worth of meals, if I did it, if I'd done this on my own, you know, a hundred and forty. You're trying to justify this and no, it was expensive. <laughs> You yeah, it was out every it, day for that money. It also it also could have been way. I I I expected it to be a little bit more, to be honest with you. Interesting. You know, I was yeah, I was and, like, you you had me for a minute. You, I was like, hey, maybe I should try <laughs> this. Maybe I should try this, and and you know, me and my girlfriend will do it just so I can be cool like Polly, uh, and just experience it. But uh, after you told me it was three hundred fucking dollars, not a goddamn chance in hell I'm gonna try that. What the fuck? Well, $300? if it was if it was cheaper, I probably would buy these drinks on a regular basis and work them into my normal diet. Um, but yeah, I mean it 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 would it would add up for a, for a one time thing, or maybe if I do it again in a couple months, every now and then it's not a big deal. But yeah, it, yeah, it's a little pricey, but it felt good. All right. Well, hey. All right. I guess I'll have to just be, you know, my own poor self and fucking just eat fruit the regular way. Yeah. Like raw. 
<laughs> you pauper. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, I didn't realize it was that expensive. I now think you're a fucking idiot. Uh, that's not new. It's just, I guess, more. <laughs> I'm just, I'm affirming it. Right, right. Jesus Christ. 300 fucking dollars. That, wow. I figured like 100 bucks, you know, 50 bucks per. But no, no, no. That's uh, fucking crazy. I'm Anyways. a crazy man. <laughs> Anyways, I've got editing to do. I've got to go to a beer league game, which you are going to leave us a man down on. So thanks for that. Yep. And uh, And other than that, though, I mean, you got anything else? one week closer to hockey everybody wear your mask and uh if you're thinking about a juice cleanse it feels good just be ready to pay (laughs) right now uh also rate the podcast five stars only and stars only right on on every uh, we would love it if you would just blindly rate it five stars only and say how great we were uh on all platforms that would be great if you could do that for us caps fans here that listen to us we need a Obedient disciples. Exactly. Also, buy our merch. Um, links are in the profile. Got some sick stuff going out. And, Absolutely. Uh, All kinds of color options. You can wear Trolls logo, my logo, or our logo. Come on. Buy something. Exactly. Please. Please. Just give us your For money. For the love of God. All right, Caps fans. Well, until next week, enjoy training camp this week. Next week, we're back at it with some actual hockey, possibly, or at least gearing up for it. So until then, like Pauly said, do a juice cleanse if you're rich and wear a mask and stay inside. Uh, Until then, it's Hockey Troll, Pauly Cupcakes, signing off. Hey, Caps fans. Thanks for tuning in to the official Caps Chirp podcast, repping the greatest team in the NHL. Follow me, the Hockey Troll, at Hockey Trollin on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And follow me, Polly Cupcakes, on Twitter at Cupcake Polly. And follow the show's handle at Caps Chirp on Twitter and Instagram. Special thanks to the Hockey Podcast Network at HockeyPodNet on Twitter and TheHockeyPodcastNetwork.com. The Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Check them out, or we're not friends anymore.